Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Good. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 this morning. Acts chapter 6. We'll be starting in the very first verse of Acts chapter 6. So if you found that this morning, stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word this morning in Acts chapter 6. And Acts chapter 6, verse number 1 reads like this. Now in these days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, a Procurus, Nicanor, a Timon, a Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Father, this morning we have truly been blessed by our time together, and worshiping you, Father, singing praises to your name, hearing your, your name lifted high above all others, and our time of Bible study together, and time of singing. Now, Father, we ask that you focus our attention upon your word. Let your word do as it always does, return to you without being void. Let it do that which you desire for it to do this morning in the hearts of those that are gathered here, that we may leave this place proclaiming your goodness and greatness to a lost and dying world. This we pray in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We find ourselves here in the midst of the beginning of the early church. As Luke is led to pen his, uh, this chapter, he starts with these very interesting words when he says, Now in these days. What are the days that he's referring to? Because we need to put into context what he's about to write with what's going on. He says, Now in these days. So what is it he's saying? See, these are the days that we've been studying about all the way to chapter 6 as we've journeyed through uh, the book of Acts together. We saw in chapter 1 that, that Jesus had told them, He says, Hey, uh, you just wait. I, I'm about to leave. I'm about to, to leave you here, but I am not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send to you the, the Holy Spirit who will be your comforter. And aren't you glad? <laughs> aren't you glad that God has sent the Holy Spirit to be our comforter in the days that we live in today? Today. And, and we see that Holy Spirit coming in that, that uh, second chapter there when it says that all were filled with the Holy Spirit. It says all those that were gathered there were filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and once they were filled, they immediately went about doing what Jesus had commanded them to do. And if you remember, that commandment started back in Matthew. Back in Matthew, as he, as he was wrapping up his ministry, as he was looking to go back to the Father, as he was with those disciples, he told them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. And, and then you teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. 
He gave that command to the disciples and and directly to us through them and through this church. And as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, you see them going about that. You see them starting that in their lives, in the life of the church. And and how are they able to do this? Well, if you remember in Acts eight, he says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and into Judea and to Samaria. He says, even to the uttermost end of the earth, he said. So they were filled with the power of God by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that empowered them to go about that, that great commandment to, to go and make disciples. And, and that feeling was, the, was for the purpose of, of being a witness, of being a witness to, to Jesus in the, in the place that they were, in, in the surrounding community where, where people were coming from, even in, if you could say, the state or the, the region where they lived, and ultimately that gospel message was to be taken to the ends of the world. And we, we see all that happening here in Acts as the church has started. <laughs> and it's been going on from the point that it started till today. Till today. You see, as, as they started this, uh, and as, as they started this in, in the early church, as they went about sharing the gospel, there was... There were some points that they find themselves in some contentious situations. You know, in Acts 2, we saw Peter was, was preaching to those that were gathered. And it said that, that then they gladly received the word, it says. And, and whenever they received the word, it says it was about 3,000 added to them. You know, that's a pretty good start. That's a pretty good start for the first day in a pulpit. That's a pretty good start for the first day sharing the gospel. So there was 3,000 that believed and were added then once those 3,000 were added, then we, then we see the attack that comes on the church when Peter and John, they're, they're arrested. They're taken to the Sanhedrin. Uh, Peter had preached to the portico at the healing of the lame man. And the religious officials didn't like it. They came and they arrested them. And they were taken into court. They were asked these questions. and How did you do this? And what name did you do this? And Peter was, was able to stand up amongst the, the Sanhedrin and preach the gospel message and implement them or implicate them in the death of, of Jesus Christ. And, and he was able, able to preach with boldness. And, and because of the boldness of the messenger and the message, they are told to never speak that name of Jesus again. See, immediately when the gospels was started to be effective, from without, Satan attacked the church. And it says that they returned to the body and they, they gave witness of all that had happened and they returned and they were rejoicing and it says that, that, that the church rejoiced. See, Satan's attack on the church from without had, had failed. It had failed. As a matter of fact, the persecution of the church strengthened the church. Because we know it goes on that untold thousands were also added to the church in the days ahead. And it also says that they started giving what they had to help the others who were gathered there. See, Satan's outside attack on the church had failed. So he moved to this inside attack and he used this this unity and this harmony within the church and this desire to meet the needs of each of the other believers, especially those who had come in from, from different places and the he picks two of the church members, two of those who had believed in Ananias and Sapphira, if you remember the story. And they sold everything they had, but they came and lied to the Holy Spirit in their giving of, of the proceeds of what came, and God immediately dealt with them by death. 
because he realized not only was there an attack from without, but Satan would also use those from within to attack the church and to place sin in the church. And no better way to make the church fail, no better, better way to make the church ineffective than to place sin in the church, and the world then would see the sin and not see Jesus. So he dealt with that immediately. Satan could not stop the church with that attack from without, so he decided to destroy the church with sin from within. But again, it says that the church grew. And in Acts 5, it says believers were increasingly added. So no matter the attack, no matter the attack, the church was growing. And then it says Peter and John were once again arrested. If you remember, they're accused of speaking in the name of Jesus again. And, and it says that, that even though they were in prison, that they were in jail, that this angel shows up and the angel lets them go from the jail without ever opening the doors. He releases them from prison and he tells them, go, you go, you stand in the temple and speak to all the people, all the words of life. See, their mission never changed. What they were told to do never changed. And they were set free by the angel to go preach. Once again, once they were seen to be gone, they were arrested. They were dragged back into the Sanhedrin. They, they were confronted by these men. And if you remember what Peter said as he stood in their midst, he said, Who ought we to obey, God or man? You see, there was another attack by man from the outside by the direction of Satan. And God had placed in that Sanhedrin Gamaliel. He stood up and spoke a voice of reason to them. Reason that, you know, killing them right now would not be the best move you could make. <laughs> As a matter of fact, they wound up beating them and setting them free. They beat them and set them free. And once again, we see them going about praising God. The church united around the gospel and the teaching and of these words of life, and the church is growing. Satan how now attacked their faithfulness to obey God rather than man, and the church stood on the word of God. And what was the result? It says there then in that verse uh, number 1 of chapter 6, it says, Now in these days when the numbers of the disciples were multiplying, you see, Satan had attacked the church in any way he could find, yet the numbers were growing. And it wasn't just people. Notice it wasn't numbers of people. It was numbers of disciples. It was numbers of disciples. That was the word for a true Christian, which today sometimes we try to separate those two things. We try to make there be a Christian and then there's a disciple. And, but really to be a Christian means you are a disciple of Jesus. What, is it, what does it really mean to be a disciple? What is a disciple? It's a devoted follower of Christ that's being made into his image that others may become disciples of Christ and it all be to the glory of God. See, that's what we're called to do. Look at what it tells us in Matthew 28. We're to go into all the world and make disciples. How do you do that? By first becoming a disciple, a devoted follower of Christ, being willing to take up your cross and follow him, being willing to set aside those things of the world that you find so important, realizing that earthly possessions one day will completely disappear. But there is a day, there is a day in all of eternity where you will either be stuck with your love of the things here or you'll be lifted into life with your love of Jesus Christ. If you're stuck on the things that are here, on this earth, if that is your Lord and your God, your destiny is a place called hell. You see, and what he's saying here is if you're a true disciple, you're devoted to be a follower of Christ. And that follower of Christ means you're being made into his image. You look more like him every day and you don't do it with the purpose of you looking like it. You do it with the purpose that others may be drawn to be disciples of Christ. 
Because that's how God is glorified. God is glorified when others come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. See, all the attacks on the church of Jesus Christ had failed. And the church continued to make disciples. But understand this, Satan has not given up. Satan did not give up then and he has not given up uh, now. He, he now uses the growth of the church in that moment to attempt again to cause the failure of the church. Isn't it interesting? How disciples are added and Satan uses the addition of disciples to attack the church. See, sometimes we think he comes in ways that we understand. <laughs> no, sometimes he comes in ways that are hard <laughs> to understand. And how does he do this? He does it by causing dissension in the church. Today, let's look at a church that is organized for the mission. The first thing I noticed is as you looked at this church and its attack from the growth of the church is I noticed there was this request. You see it there in, in the first verse. It says, Now in the days when the numbers of the multi uh, disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenist. It says there was this, this complaint. The church was made up primarily of these two groups. These two groups had, had come in to, for, for Passover time in Jerusalem because it was required that all men be there for this time. There was these two groups that had come in and, and on this day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and, and the gospel came to life, those two groups started hearing this gospel and started believing. Uh, they're listed there as being the Hebrews and, and being the Hellenists. Well, what are the difference in those two? Uh, the Hebrews, they, they were native Jews. Uh, they, they lived in the land. They, they were in the Palestinian region. They lived there. The, they were from the area, maybe even from Jerusalem itself. This, this place that everybody was gathering was their home. So there was these Hebrews. Then it says there was these Hellenists. These Hellenists, they were Greek-speaking Jews. They were from outside the area of, of Palestine. They were, they were from a, a part of those who had come and, and had been changed by the gospel message. They traveled far from home and they had chosen to stay there in the area and hence the distribution that was mentioned, the, the giving in the, the fifth chapter when they were giving up everything to support those who had left it all at home and come uh, to Jerusalem and now had, had come to know Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. They wanted to stay there in that region, in that church. That's, that's those Hellenists. They were the ones dependent on the other believers for both shelter and, and for food and, and for places to work. And they were dependent upon them. And it seems that there was beginning to be this divide between the two groups when it came to this distribution that we saw over in, in the fifth chapter when they said they were giving of everything and they were meeting the needs of all those. And there seems to be some, some kind of complaint. It, it says now there was a complaint. If you happen to have a King James Version Bible in your hand this morning, you'll notice the word there doesn't say complaint. It may be a word that says something like murmur, murmur. You know, I think that's probably even a better translation than complaint because we look at complaint as, hey, we hear complaints every day. We let it run off our back like water and we move on. But murmur has a whole nother connotation to it. As a matter of fact, the dictionary defines murmuring as saying something in a low, soft, or indistinct voice. Hmm. So they apparently weren't standing in the street corner screaming, you're not feeding me. They were speaking very quietly, <laughs> very quietly to one another. What they were doing is running around complaining or murmuring, but not in such a way as to be seen as complainers. 
<laughs> they, they just wanted to mention that there might be a little something going on. They, they didn't really want to be labeled as one who was complaining in the church. They just, I'll drop a hint here and I'll drop a hint there. And I'm with my friends over coffee. I'll just happen to mention we, did, we didn't get any dinner yesterday. I'll just kind of bring it up in passing as if it's no big deal. I'll just drop it and run. See, the problem here, we read it and we think the immediate situation is the fact that they're not being distributed food. But from God's eyes, that's not the situation. <laughs> the, the situation, the problem there uh, is apparently not the food distribution because we notice there's no argument about that. There, there's not even a discussion about that fact. <laughs> so apparently it's, it was true that they are being overlooked and that is not right. See, the, the problem arose when Satan got in the midst of something that needed to be corrected, that was being done wrong. There was a situation that needed to be corrected. Satan got in the middle of it, and instead of looking for a solution to the problem, they decided to murmur. You see, they decided to run around and say little things. Know this, church. There are going to be things that get overlooked in the life of the church. It happens. There are going to be things that I should do that I don't do. It happens. There are going to be times when you don't agree with things that, that are being done. And there are going to be times when, when we just flat out make a mistake. <laughs> but make no mistake. Going around murmuring about it only brings dissension, not correction. You see murmuring, talking about the problem to one who can't fix the problem? <laughs> it's a sin. And see, that's what had happened. That's what had happened here. What Satan wants to do more than anything is to stop the church. He wants to stop the church. He can't come in and take your salvation from you. He can't come rob from you that which you have received in Jesus Christ. But you know what he can do? He can keep you from telling your neighbor about it. Because you're upset about something that's going on at church. So that's all that can see that you have in your mind. So instead of thinking about telling someone about Jesus, you whisper to them what's going on that you don't like at church. That's a great witness of Jesus Christ now, isn't it? Why don't we have them lined up at the door wanting to join now? We go tell them about something we don't like to preach or preaches too long. I don't like the suit he wears. He carries a bottle of water in the pulpit. The temperature's never right. You want to know why your neighbor doesn't come? You're murmuring. You see what Satan wants to do? It's what you're doing. What he wants to do is stop the church. How's he going to do that? If he can't take your salvation, he's going to keep you from telling anyone about it. What a great plan. What a great plan. And he'll use any means he can, whether he's attacking from without, whether he uses sin from within, like we saw with Ananias and Sapphira, whether he uses perversion of the word like they were trying to do when they were saying, you obey us, not God, or, or he will use a member of the body of Christ to cause dissension within the church. See, the request was for equal distribution of food, but the problem was the murmuring that was going on. So we see that request. The second thing is we see the response. Look at the response. It starts there in the second verse when it says, And the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, 
whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves daily to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude. And the same pleased the whole multitude. Notice what's missing from this passage. Sometimes we read so fast what's there, we don't notice what is missing. Notice there was never a discussion brought up about the inconsistency of the distribution of the food. They, they never asked for a show of hands of who had missed food. They never asked uh, about it. They, they didn't jump to any type of defense. They didn't say, well, we're only 12 people. We can't do everything. They, they, they didn't make any excuses. They didn't say, well, we didn't give to you because you didn't ask. Notice they didn't lay the blame on anybody. They didn't say, I thought that was his job. Not mine. I was preaching this week. He was supposed to be in charge of the food. No. There, there's not a single discussion about the food. Instead, the disciples who bear the burden of all that happened in the church go straight to a solution to the real problem. And what's their solution? First thing you notice, they include the body in the discussion. One of the sayings I have around work, nothing stops criticism like participation. Someone wants to criticize what's being going on? Put them in charge. It always stops criticism when you see what has to be done in participation. See, the passage is why we have the polity of the body here at Morris Creek Baptist Church. Have you ever wondered why it's not decided solely by committee but presented to the body, as we will in two Wednesday nights from now? All decisions that are made presented to the body for a vote. You give of your money to the church. It comes into the funds. You set aside committees that uh, use that money for things, and you either give them a limit they can do without asking, or they come to you to ask. We have this we want to do. What is your say? Can we or can't we? See, it's the exact same picture you see in the beginning of the church. They brought the whole body together. See, no one person, no one group there or, or here has any greater voting right than anyone else. I, as the pastor, can't override your vote. See, that, that's why we have business meetings to decide what the church does. That is, that's why we vote on the leaders of the different ministries. You're voting to put a person in place so they can do the work of that ministry. If need be, they bring back to you those things that need to be voted on. If not, you have given them the ability to be able to do that. That's why you vote and set them in place. It, it says that the, the apostles, they summoned those disciples to them. And remember, the disciples were those who truly believed they were true followers of Jesus Christ. So hence, you could say they summoned the church to themselves. Summoned the church. So they included the church in, in the decision-making process. So that was the first thing. The second thing, you notice they set about organization within the church. Until this time, the apostles had been responsible for everything that went on in the church. I don't know if you've done math lately or if you've even been paying attention as we've gone through Acts, but somewhere now they're probably in a neighborhood of uh, 10,000 people in the church. How many apostles was there? Twelve. The apostles, 12 men, were responsible for 10,000 people? You want to know why somebody got left off the dinner roll? So these guys have been responsible, and, and, and they, they didn't have a building to meet in. Understand that. It wasn't 10,000 people gathered down at the corner church. No, it was 10,000 people that were gathered together that, that went house to house, it said. 
There was meetings all over the place of smaller groups that fellowshiped together and broke bread together and studied the word together. And and there was 10,000 of them, no telling how many houses they were meeting in. Is it any wonder someone got overlooked? So by the direction of the Holy Spirit, the, the apostles gave the first instruction on the organization of the church. And remember, Satan's trying to cause dissension in the church that, that it might stop, that it might fail. And the Holy Spirit was, was looking for unity in the church. Satan wants dissension. The Holy Spirit, God, wants unity. So that the church may glorify God as we read about in Ephesians. They started with a focus on the priority of the ministry. You'll notice in the, in the second verse, the second half of that, that verse, it says, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. It's, it says the, the man of God that is called to be the under-shepherd of the church has the responsibility to be faithful in the expository preaching of the word of God. If he fails to be faithful in the expository re, uh, preaching of the word of God, there is no one to be fed because there is no one in the church. Because it is the Word that makes disciples. So his responsibility was to to be faithful in the preaching of that Word. And the apostles recognized that there was a certain dichotomy in, in a preacher's life. A certain dichotomy of time being spent in the Word in preparation to deliver that Word and be faithful to that Word. And then, and then the second part of the dichotomy was the needs of the people that had to be met. And they constantly felt this tension. That was was in the call to the ministry to lead this early church. They also recognized that God had given gifts to the members of the church. See, they understood that the body had been gifted. And it had been gifted for the edification, it says in the Bible of the church. It's one of the things for the edification. God does not give us gifts that we may be glorified. God gives us gifts that He may be glorified. How is He most glorified? When the church is unified, the gifts are used for the glory of God, that others may see Him as God. And one major way we glorify God with our gifts is in the edification of the body of Christ. Each of us have been spiritually gifted and placed in the body to be a minister to the body, as well as those gifts being used to share Jesus In the world around us. I believe it's a sin against God. I believe it's a sin against God to not use what He has given us. And also not to allow others to use what He has given them. Sometimes we don't even stop and think about it. So often we look at the ministries. The ministries are going on a church. And we look at those ministries through the lens of the world instead of the lens of the Word. We don't see the importance of a ministry. So we don't even think it's necessary. Or, or we have someone that, who, who's new to the church or, or, or maybe hasn't been active in the church and they come and they have this particular ministry on their heart and, and they, we really don't want them to do it because we feel like they're trying to take over our church. You see, what if, what if we judge the need for a ministry by the purpose of why we're here? What if every time we looked at a ministry we said, we're here to glorify God, we're, we're here to be the image of Christ, and, and we're here to worship Him. What if every time we, we had a thought about a ministry or, or, or we, see, we see this ministry need, what, what if we stopped and said, does it line up with our purpose? Does it line up with why we're still here? See, what if we intentionally sought where God would have us use the gifts where he would have us use the gifts he's given us for the purpose he has left us here on this earth. You know what would be different? We would each be different. (laughs) 
You, you know what? Our church would be very different. You know what? This community, Curry, would be different. Not only Curry, but I believe North Carolina would be different. And eventually, I believe the whole world would be different. If we took everything that we did and said, does it fit the purpose that God has for our life? And has he gifted someone to do that in our body? See, the apostles addressed the problem at hand by organizing the ministry of caring for the body. They did this by having the body select. It says they're from among themselves. He said they were to be the ministry leaders. Let's face it. If there were 12 apostles that couldn't take care of 10,000, what were seven men going to do? See, we look at it and say, okay, the 12 passed it off to the seven. Now the seven are going to take care of the 10,000. Does that make any common sense to anyone? If 12 men couldn't, how are seven going to do it? See, they weren't to be the only ones active. They were to be those who organized and took care of that. They were to be, yes, the servants, but they were to be bringing along behind them other disciples, which is following the commandment that we're giving. You see, and notice the criteria. It says it should be men of good reputation, those that were well thought of in the community, those that were well thought of in the church. And it says they were have a life that displayed Jesus. That's what it means to have this good reputation. It says they were to be men full of the Holy Spirit, not just saying I'm saved, but actually being led by the indwelling Holy Spirit in their life. Their decision-making process was based on the Word, not this is what I believe. Their whole speech was, was godly speech, not speech of the world. See, it was to be this life that was that was filled up and led by the Holy Spirit. And it says there was to be this men of wisdom. That word there actually means both worldly wisdom and spiritual wisdom. They were to be smart. They were, they were to be men of some, some sort of reasoning. And this would allow the apostles to do what they had been called to do. It says there in, in verse 4, it says we'll give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You see, this, this church was being organized around those gifts that were given. Those gifts that we're giving. He says, but organizing the ministry of the church, each, each person's calling and gifting would be used for the glory of God. Now what was the result very quickly? What was the result of all this? Look at what it says in the fifth verse. The very first thing, it says that it pleased the whole multitude. It pleased the whole multitude. The word translated please means to agree. That the whole multitude agreed with this. So they were agreeable with this solution. Even though Satan had made an attempt to, to cause dissension in the church, which is disagreement, the Holy Spirit worked in the hearts of the apostles to use the gifts God had given and placed in the church to bring about this agreeable spirit in the church. What a beautiful picture of God's sovereign control over the church. It, it, really, the, the wordology there is, gives this picture of unification around this decision. They, they went about the process of selecting seven men. If you'll notice out of the list of men, there's only really two of them that you know anything about. Stephen, we'll read about very shortly in the days ahead. And then you see this Philip that you read about. But we must assume, we must assume that all of those men were used by God for the, the growing of the church. You see, 6-6 six, six then gives us this picture of what it means to agree in that uh, sixth verse. It says that they set apart uh, before the apostles, and it says, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. 
You see the church coming around these men and laying hands on them, signifying that the church affirmed them in what they were doing, that they would support them in what they were doing, that they identified that God would use them in the body for His glory. It's much like we do our deacons. You have an opportunity to participate in the ordination of a deacon here shortly. And that's why we bring them down and sit them before you and give you the opportunity to come affirm that you're with them, that you will pray for them and work with them, that you will pray for their strength, that that you will uh, uh, support them in all that they do. And then it tells us in that seventh verse, and this is the most beautiful part, thinking about what Satan has tried to do in the attack of the church, and, and he took the growth to try to set into the dissension of the church. We're running into verse 7. Verse 7, after they've not addressed really the, the complaint that was brought up, but the murmuring behind the scene by, by setting up the organization of the church, it says in verse 7, then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And it even says a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. See, it says this whole organization, this this distribution of the ministries, this using of the gifts and talents of the body, that they all agreed on this unification within the body didn't lead to dissension, it led to multiplication. There was no subtraction happening. There was multiplication happening. And how did it happen? It multiplied the Word of God. The Word of God spread. Instead of the gospel being stopped, the gospel spread. Many more disciples were out sharing the message instead of murmuring and worrying about the feeding. They were out sharing the gospel. And when our focus becomes telling others about Jesus, we don't have time to sit back and murmur. See, then it says the number of disciples actually multiplied. So, So the word of God going out was effective and multiplication happened amongst the disciples. Notice it doesn't call them church members. It calls them disciples. A disciple is a learner, one who is learning what it means to be Christ-like. You see it, many more people were devoting themselves to grow in Christ-likeness so they could help others grow in Christ-likeness. Their focus was not inward. Their focus became outward to the glory of God. Then it says a great many priests became obedient to the faith. (laughs) Love that. It says, so great was the image of Christ in this early church and in those disciples that even the priests were transformed. Those that had depended upon the rituals of the law saw this church and those disciples in the image of Christ, and they became obedient to the faith, the faith of Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ. What's the application very quickly to our church today? There's no doubt Satan wants Morris Creek Baptist Church to fail, as he does any church that stands on the Word of God. He does not want the church to succeed. That's a given. I don't think anybody would argue that. He wants us to shut the doors and stay home. He, will, he wants us to not light the fact, uh, uh, you know, or, or not be a light in the community. He doesn't like the fact that we're a light in the community, a light that shines Jesus Christ to others. He wants us to fail. And he'll attack us from every side. He'll attack us from without. All you've got to do is read the news right now and look at the list of laws that are going to come if the wrong person gets selected. Already said that they're going to first attack us financially, then they'll attack you on all other odds just because you won't change what you believe about the Bible to believe what they believe. So the attack's there, poised and waiting the attack series also says that it will be attacked within. I believe he will try to get the members of the body to habitually sin and, and, and love it. And he'll get the church to try to accept it. 
It'll no longer be, be good to say, no, that's sin. You need that out of your lives. It does not need to be in your life or the church. There's churches right now that are accepting of things of the world and what they hope to unify their church. They're accepting same-sex marriage. They're accepting abortion. They're accepting these things without speaking against it because they want to grow their church and be unified. There's only one problem with that. It's against the word. That's Satan's attack on the church from within. And we have to be careful. He'll want to do that. He'll also try to attack our unity. He'll try to attack our unity. He'll try to influence someone to murmur against someone else or to someone else. He'll, he'll give enough truth in it that it sounds believable. He'll, he'll cause it to spread among certain circles. And he'll make it so that it no longer becomes about fixing it because it's too fun talking about it. I mean, let's face it, that's what happens. When the murmuring starts small, enough people get on board, now it becomes fun bashing the person or the thing who wants to fix it. And, and he'll, he'll attack that way, but, but God. <laughs> My favorite words in the Bible, but God. Satan wants Morris Creek to fail, but God wants Morris Creek to succeed. There's no doubt in my mind. He wouldn't have put you here. He wouldn't have had the, the longevity of the church if he wasn't intending on this church being an example of Jesus Christ in this community. He has a purpose. He has a purpose for us to glorify him by being transformed individually into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, and then worshiping him in spirit and truth in all that we do. He has that purpose. He has a mission for us. He has a mission for us to live out the message of the gospel in the lives of others that they then may live out the gospel message in the lives of others. The multiplication, the go and make disciples. And he has a goal. He has a goal in it all. And what's his goal? Is that God be glorified in you? That he be glorified here in Curry? That he be glorified in North Carolina? That he'd be glorified to the uttermost ends of the world. How's he going to do that? By gospel transformation from generation to generation. Continually. And that will lead the world to be a worshiper of him. You see, God wants us to succeed. He has a purpose for each of us individually and collectively. How we accomplish it. We'll do exactly what they did. They made the word central. We'll read it. Not for what it says. Not as a novel but for what it's saying to you and then how it speaks to your heart to change your life to be more like Christ. We'll spend time in prayer. We'll spend time praying to God, not, not asking for what we want, not for the healing or the finances or our earthly relationships or peace or strength or wisdom. All those are good things. But what we'll spend time doing is asking God to change our heart. We'll ask God to transform our life. We'll, we'll seek His will for our life. And we'll long, just long for a closer relationship with Him. And then we'll be being transformed. We won't be happy with where we're at in our Christian walk. We'll look for where God wants us to be. In how we think, how we talk, how we act, how we love. And what will be the result? Exactly like it was in that church. The word of God will spread. Disciples will be multiplied. Lives will be transformed. Almighty God will be worshipped for who he is. And the glory, the glory will be all to his name. So when you look at this passage, think about what Satan's trying to do to the church. And endeavor in your heart this morning to say, 
not on my watch. Not on my watch. Where does it start? First with being a disciple by coming to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If this morning you don't know him as Lord and Savior, if you can't say that you're a transformed follower of Jesus Christ, you come to our invitation, give me the opportunity to explain to you what that means. Maybe this morning you know that you're a disciple, but are not a very good one because your life is not leading others to be a disciple. That's what I love about 1 John 1, 9, my favorite verse. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, it's a sin to not be a true disciple of Jesus Christ growing in his likeness. Maybe this morning you need to ask for forgiveness, trusting that God will do just that. Maybe this morning, maybe this morning you're here and you don't have a church home where your gift can be used. Or maybe you're in your church home, but your gift is not being used. Maybe today you should come and say, I want to join this body. Or maybe if you're a part of the body, you should come and say, I want to use the gifts and talents God's given me for the edification of the body and the glory of God. You respond as we sing this morning. Let me pray over us. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the example that you have given us in your word of that which Satan is still trying to do today in the churches of Jesus Christ, in the body of Jesus Christ. This morning, Father, I just pray that we will resolve to stand firm on your word and, Father, only trust in you. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.